0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: From the campus of the Wharton School in San Francisco, this is Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here is your host, Doug Collum.
0: Welcome, everybody. This is Bay Area Ventures on our weekly broadcast. Uh, This is SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are, in fact broadcasting here directly from uh, the, the Wharton School campus in San Francisco. Um, the good news about being here is that, uh, for once, it's great weather outside, and also we are in close proximity to um, everything that's most frequently called Silicon Valley. So we try to capture the spirit of both entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship here in Silicon Valley in particular. I usually have a co-host, Irina Yen, and unfortunately, she took sick this morning so I'm winging it we're gonna we're gonna do this one alone and um, I'm never as good as without Irina, but it'll be an interesting program nevertheless um you know we do a different show this week because we're checking in with a couple of students who are coming out of Wharton's venture initiation program I'll turn to that in just a second, but this is a little bit different in terms of how we're gonna do our program this afternoon um So for people who have never listened to our program before, Bay Area Ventures is about entrepreneurship and startups and venture capital with particular focus on companies and dynamics here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We broadcast live every Monday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific. That's 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, I typically make the reference that our show is perfectly timed for the commute hour on both the West and the East Coast. So there's no excuse not to (laughs) tune in. Um, We're going to do things a little bit differently today. For the first hour, we have two guests who are coming out of Wharton's Venture Initiation Program, Um, and we're going to focus principally on one guest for the first half hour, and then the second uh, uh, VIP participant for the second half hour, and then we'll shuttle both of those guys out and bring in a full one-hour guest at 5 o'clock p.m., Pacific time. So it'll be a little bit different in that sense. The other difference is that I'm going to introduce both guests right now because um, I'd like them to offer just you know one or two or three minutes each, kind of their, their explanation and insights about the Wharton San Francisco Venture Initiation Program. I know enough that I can't be very articulate about it, so therefore I'm going to turn that task over to these two guys. So we're introducing now Philip Cortez. Who is the fo- who is the founder of a technology focused bank called Novi? And then at the same time, we're also introducing, Egino Cafiero, whose company is called Bear Flag Robotics, which is a which is building a technology platform for self driving tractors. So welcome, you guys. Welcome, Philip, and welcome, Egino.
1: Thanks, so Thanks for having us.
0: So I'm going to ask Egino to start out because as we're sitting here in one of the in the broadcast room here at Wharton, San Francisco. First of all, what is this VIP? What is this Wharton Venture Initiation Program? You're a participant in it, and you're a a product of it.
2: Yeah, so um, the Venture Initiation Program was um, put together to help um, young startups um, navigate this field of of early-day startup, understand exactly um, what needs to go into it, what things they should be concerned about, um, how to raise money, how to talk to customers, how to figure out if they have product market fit, um, and then get on to the later stages of startup as well. So it truly really is an initiation program in that
0: sense. How long does that program run at Gino? Uh, um, I think it was seven or eight weeks. So um, it's not it's not a drive by uh, class. It's it's like it's a it's protracted over some period of time.
2: No, it's great. There's a cohort, and you come through with your cohort um, of the same folks, um, and you and you start at the start, and you work on different things every week, yeah. um, and you develop your your toolkit.
0: So Philip, let me shift to you. So in terms of um, your participation in the VIP program, how many people were in your, your cohort? I believe we
1: were eight companies total in the winner batch, and uh, both co-founders, I believe, were allowed to attend. So some people are alternated who attended or both attended at the same time.
0: So, Philip, are you and Agino both part of the same cohort? We are. Oh, you are? Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. And there's a competition. It's a, it's a winnowing process where you know, the, the uh, respectable companies rise to the top?
1: Absolutely. For the interview process, uh, I wouldn't say it was challenging, but there was a a formal process for it. It was very competitive. uh, And I think they prefer people who are affiliated with Penn and Wharton on the co-founding team to apply. Uh, So it was a nice way to meet other founders. And I think they said less than 10% of applicants got in. finally.
0: Wow. So it is, in fact, a screening process. Absolutely. And the screening continues right until today, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, who are the people that are making judgments about the merits of your companies? I mean, what is it that, what does it take to graduate from this program? Is it funding? Is it a, a completed uh, founding team or management team? What are the what are the metrics that the judges look to? We were
1: all over the map, I'd say, in terms of what stage of company we were. Uh, some of us had raised some amount of seed money, uh, most under a million. Some of us had products, and in my case, uh, some of us were working on building one. The key was that they asked you to set milestones ahead of time Mm -hmm. that they then tried to hold you accountable to along the way. So it wasn't just the mentors who held you accountable, it was
0: also
2: your classmates. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, Agena, what kind of milestones... I, I mean, f- just as a generic thing. I mean, is it customers? Is it revenue? Is it for,
2: for us? We're a technology-focused company, so in those days and still still is technology-related yeah. um, milestones. Yeah, exactly.
0: So technology, in the sense of not so much outward looking, but more like developing the yeah. the, the technology, the platform.
2: Exactly, and hand yeah. in hand too with talking to customers. Um, yeah. just coming back to this product market fit that's so important in the early stages. Understanding exactly what you're building and why you're building it.
0: Mm-hmm. Huh. Are you guys both? current students in the program? I think our Phillip? batch ended in January or February, maybe early February. Yeah. Uh, there's a winter batch, and I think now
2: a summer batch as well. Yeah, and I think they just ended too. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So are, are now you're both so-called graduates of the VIP program? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So don't yeah. screw this up, because yeah. there are a lot of people <laughs> looking
1: at you, right? <laughs> no pressure, guys.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we at this point shift shift to Philip. Philip Cortez is the uh, CEO and founder of, of uh, Novi. Of Novi. Sorry, I got no it.
1: worries. No, we get that a lot, so we might look at a rebranding.
0: And I think you have to call it Novi Proposed. That's right. Because it is a proposed bank, and there's some esoteric banking regulation that says you're a bad person if you actually refer to it before you've got your, your banking certification. They want to make sure that people aren't claiming that they have all of
1: the safety and regulation of a bank without having gone through the process and getting a charter. Okay. It's understandable.
0: So um, let's start with that, which is what. Maybe you can start by telling us what does Novi do. So the pain point we've identified is that universally
1: Americans are lost when it comes to managing their money and their financial health generally. Right, fifty seven percent of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in savings. Uh, the average income for millennials is thirty nine thousand dollars. The average debt is forty six thousand dollars. Oh, wow! Financial literacy is through the roof. Illiteracy is through the roof. Seventy six percent of millennials can't pass a basic literacy exam when it comes to finances. They don't understand compound interest, and unfortunately, financial services companies today have taken that knowledge and used it to prey on Americans. So when you walk into a bank and you talk to a loan advisor, they tend to push an arm instead of a fixed rate mortgage in a rising interest rate environment, right? If you talk to an advisor, they try to push the mutual fund that gets them the highest 12 b one fees and kickbacks. And then unfortunately, if you overdraft, they hit you with overdraft penalties even though you have no money. And (laughs) I mean it's alarming. It's really dramatic. And I guess what it is we do is we answer the question what it is that you should do with your money from an end-to-end financial planning perspective. So not just your credit score, not just your investments, not just your loans, but holistically, what it is you should be doing. We explain why you should do it. And the most important piece and why we're a bank, we actually do the work for you.
0: Got it. So that's uh, we're going to come back to that Mm -hmm. for sure in detail. But I I want to jump to you, Philip, which is, uh, you know, you talk like you're a banker already. So what is your background, by the way? Uh, So I helped co-found the Commission Management Services
1: Division of Bloomberg's Brokerage, essentially a fancy title for a checking account for hedge funds. That group brought in about $105 million of revenue in its first year. That was my first foray
0: into fintech. So when you're doing... Checking accounts for head funds. I mean, you're talking with numbers with multiple zeros after that?
1: Yes. The trading volume that was coming through our platform was astronomical. That's That's, right.
0: That's really important to get things right when you're talking at that magnitude. (laughs) Yes.
1: And actually, I have a funny story that maybe we won't delve into that involved temporarily losing $26 million for one of the largest head funds in the world.
0: Boy, isn't that annoying when that happens? Yeah, it was.
1: uh, And I was 23 at the helm (laughs) trying to navigate it. It was something. Oh,
0: man. So go ahead. So so that was at Bloomberg. That was at Bloomberg and then most recently I went
1: back to Fintech. I managed client experience on the product team at Wealthfront, uh web and mobile.
0: Is Wealthfront um there's a a former VC whose name I forget who. Andy Rackleff. Yes, is he is that the same Wealthfront?
1: That is. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he had they say he has the Midas touch. Anything he does is turns out to
0: do very well. So another good experience also in the area of Fintech, is that right?
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, and then going forward, um, you know, I use this ex- expression facetiously, but I mean, what is it that possessed you to make you think that you can go out and do a startup company? I mean, I'm looking at you, looking yeah. thinking, does this guy have the merits to do this? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
1: so first of all, I think I've had a passion for fintech for a very long time since the beginning of my career and Wealthfront reinforced that, but... I remember very vividly uh, while I was at Wealthfront, we were working on a product called Portfolio Review. And Wealthfront is a mission-driven company, right? It wants to be a fiduciary. And wants to help the world. And uh, we were analyzing people's portfolios through user testing and seeing that so many very smart, very affluent Americans were doing unbelievably alarming, terrible things with their portfolio. Uh, and I don't want to get into specifics of people's yeah. portfolio, but yeah. the idiosyncratic risk was through the roof. Meaning they bought two stocks and the rest in cash. Diversification was horrible, uh, and the fees that these people had were unbelievable in mutual funds. Yeah.
0: And they just s- trusted their advisors. I, that, I know this is a longer conversation. I don't want to jump into it because it'll take time away from your company. Yeah. But there's this. I know there's a lot of um, publicity right now about the standard of uh, of care. Yes, uh, a fiduciary, fiduciary standard if you will that should or should not be imposed upon financial advisors that's right yeah the department of labor was looking to pass a rule that obliged
1: all financial advisors and planners to be fiduciaries meaning only act in the best interest of their, their clients client? God, that's and a radical that did not idea pass. <laughs> it's something we assume they all do but yeah. very few actually do yeah. and so at Wealthfront, what i realize is, is it's a fantastic company with a beautiful mission leveraging technology to make investing better But very few millennials are actually ready to invest or should be. And it goes back to that problem of debt management, planning for retirement, and the rest of it, emergency fund. And that's what Novi is trying to tackle.
0: So, Philip, as you're sitting here thinking about, okay, you're going to make the jump out of Wealthfront into your own startup company in fintech, the the one point I would offer immediately is fintech seems like it's a hugely saturated competitive environment. Mm -hmm. There's so many. I mean, fintech is – there's been so much activity in that area and so why did you choose uh, an, an area that is so saturated um, i would
1: argue that it's not completely saturated the realm of companies that are possible in the fintech industry is very large mm-hmm. it's like saying um, the number of companies that are helping people connect socially is very large i don't know if that yeah there's a there's a lot of opportunities for us it was not that it was a crowded space it was quite the opposite there was an opportunity that no one was tackling. If you study specifically what it is we're doing, there's a lot of companies that help automate financial planning and analysis. Mm-hmm. But the key insight we have is that millennials are the convenience generation. They don't want just want to know what it is they should do. They want someone to do it for them. And that is something that does not exist in the marketplace today.
0: So a lot of what you're doing then, not putting words in your mouth, but a lot of what you're doing then is, is technology-driven. It's creating uh, back-office functionality that is... Um, it's it's not apparent what's going on in the black box but what comes out of it is very straightforward and user-friendly is that is yeah and actually our
1: aim is to educate our clients along the way so that that black box is something they understand and can do on their own they just use us because we're convenient and we do it for them Uh, we don't want to prey on financial literacy we want to help combat
0: so is that a do you see this again i'm kind of pulling out ideas, do you see that as a point of differentiation for Novi? How, Absolutely. How, how do you, what, what are the differentiators for your company? Because we're pursuing a bank charter, we
1: can be custodians of your assets. We're going to be your checking account, meaning when whenever you get your paycheck, it comes to us first. Thanks to that custodial function, that ability to hold that money, right. we can then just not only tell you and analyze what it is you should be doing with that money we can actually do the work for you and route it different places, pay down your credit card before you pay down your student loan, put money aside in your IRA every month instead of just right before tax season.
0: Um, well, that's a huge, I mean, if you can achieve all those things and, and we can and yeah. get the authorization from each account to do, I mean, you have a kind of a, an educated process to get people up to speed on different ways to deploy their money. Exactly. So the
1: login or the registration process uh, takes under three minutes and it involves you linking all of your external accounts, your uh, credit card, your mortgage, your student loan, your investments, taxable Mm -hmm. retirement. And then within that period, we then tell you if you're misallocated in any one way and we quantify the impact for you over a year, two years, three years. So we try to save people money right out of the gates and, and have impact.
0: Boy, that sounds great. Um, Tell me about, just at a snapshot level, what's the current state of play with the company? Early days, I'm sure, but how far along are you in the, in the growth process? Yeah, we've broken the phases of what we want to do up. Uh, the first phase
1: for us was, one, could you build an algorithm that essentially could take in all of these variables and make accurate recommendations for people as to what they should be doing and explain why? That piece is done now.
0: Wow. So it's so it's principally a completely automated That's right. process. The registration, once they're in, then the, the, the thing spits out mm-hmm. intelligent uh, recommendations. We will have advisors that you can speak with
1: over chat, over the phone, or in person. Those mm-hmm. are available to you if you prefer that mode of communication mm-hmm. and, and education. But the goal is to be able to do it all online if, and make it easier for you.
0: So... To kind of, in my own words, you've got this black box completed. <laughs> Is that right? Most it right. completed. There's, I'm sure there's still some refinements to be done, but you've got sure. exactly. the guts of it completed. Exactly. So wh- how far else? I mean, what about rounding out your management team? What about um, employees? What about, uh, do you have a beta? Do you have early stage customers and so forth? Yeah. So... We have tested the algorithm
1: with several hundred people at this point across all of their finances. So we've dialed that in, and it's very accurate. It's Are you actually well.
0: handling money at this point? No, we cannot do oh, that you can't. until you we get some a form of okay. charter. Okay. That's right.
1: Yep. Uh, the second fate, or the second track of what we're doing—that's the technology track—is getting at getting the bank charter. What that involves is bringing on a seasoned team of bank veterans who have run banks very successfully in the past. As
0: employees.
1: Uh, as bank CEOs or presidents or chief credit officers. Okay. Um, have them join our team, and then we're either going to uh, apply for de novo formally with the OCC, uh, the Office of the Controller of the Currency, they own the national charter, and then get F- an FDIC approval as well, or go out and buy a bank charter, and we're looking at 12 banks in California with OCC charters.
0: So it sounds like there's a fair amount of heat and light that goes into that process alone. There is. Luckily, we've brought on Curtis Moe and Jeff Hare from Daley Piper.
1: Curtis took uh e-trade from idea to IPO. He also got them their bank charter. So he's very used to this concept he's of a fintech company that. needing this. Yeah. yeah. And Jeff is a fantastic uh lawyer out of uh, Washington DC has a great relationship with regulators and will help us navigate.
0: And these are there. all federal regulations as opposed to state. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like you've got that process going forward. Mm-hmm. Um I assume there's some capital requirements associated with that process.
1: There are. You are familiar with banking? No, oh, I'm no. just
0: I'm making a a yeah. judgment here.
1: So uh, we are currently interviewing several candidates for the bank president and CEO role, uh, and we have a candidate actually that we're very excited about coming in on Friday. And um, once we have that candidate locked down, we will move forward on either purchasing a bank or the de novo, depending on that skill set of the individual. With regards to capital requirements, uh about ten to twelve percent of your capital, whatever it is you raise, or um, whatever you have in deposits, you have to have ten to twelve percent of it in reserves. And so we will have to raise up seventy five to a hundred million dollars is my guess based on what we want to do. just to open the doors just to open the doors, and uh, the majority of that money will likely go towards reserves a piece of it will be for operated short expenditures. Wow. I mean,
0: that's some serious heat and light that goes into this.
1: But those sound like big numbers, but they're essentially a banking seed round. So the 5,600 charters in the country today all had to raise north of $25 million. So you're not unusual in that respect? Not at all. Okay. A $75 million bank is probably the smallest bank in California
0: today. Um, For people who are just joining us, this is Bay Area Ventures. We're talking to Philip Cortez, who's the founder, co-founder? Founder. co-founder co-founder wow. and uh, current CEO of Novi, which is a proposed bank um, <laughs> and we're talking about uh, you know the i mean the, the effort that goes into forming a banking corporation so wow. let's talk That's about tremendous. fundraising um, you know you say that seventy five to hundred million is is the norm just to open the doors mm-hmm. so this is not like a casual trip up Sand Hill Road. This is more <laughs> like you need to do some serious Uh, some serious diligence in who you approach for funding, I assume.
1: Yeah, the way I think of the business, the opportunity in my mind is uh, marrying the old school world with this new school of technology. And fortunately or unfortunately, that wedding has to be a good one for this business to get off the ground. When it comes to the management team, three technologists in a garage cannot get a bank charter, right? We need a very seasoned, very good executive team that are steady at the helm and know what they're doing. That's the management team. So we're going to need people who have done it for 20, 25 years uh, at very good banks, married with the young 25 to 35-year-old startup engineer culture. The same is true in fundraising, I I believe. So we've got over $1.6 million committed from angel investors. We're We're not going to raise $75 million off of just an angel community. That's going to be our seed round to continue investing technology and then doing the due diligence to become a bank and hire the banking team. The $75 million will likely come from PE funds that are much larger, the more old school traditional finance.
0: But you need to go through what I would consider traditional VC fancy financing here in Silicon Valley just to prime the pump to get ready for the for the big money to come in that will get you through over the the regulatory hurdles. Is that right? Um Is that is that too simplistic? Where the capital come from comes from isn't uh crucial to
1: us in terms of stage mm-hmm. of investor. It can be growth stage investors, P funds or VC right. funds. Mm-hmm. What's important to us is that we have people who truly are embarked on the mission that we're pursuing, mm-hmm. uh, understand our business plan and our roadmap over the long term, yep. so not an 18-month cycle, a three- to five-year cycle. Uh, and then we'll be representatives on our board that adhere to that mission and that goal. So whether that comes from the venture community or the private equity community, we're open to both.
0: So I have a question. This is a kind of a frank question Mm. i think you're the first guest we've had on the program where by definition the way i'm i'm hearing what you're saying you are taking yourself out of the ceo position really as a condition to you know going out and getting the big infusion of cash and getting the banking charter is that is that accurate you're gonna you're going to relinquish the position as ceo of the company i am open to it uh the problem we've had or the
1: the challenge we've had in, in raising our management team is we've had about six different bank president candidates interested, mm-hmm. all of whom wanted to be CEO, none of which could clearly articulate the mission of our business and what it is we wanted to do. And so that's why we don't have one in that seat.
0: So today. why is that? Is it just because it's it truly is a melding of two diff- completely different cultures? Yeah. There's a very technology driven side which which you and I understand is kind of what Silicon Valley is about. But then there's the traditional banking side where, uh, like, what is it? What is, what is software? <laughs>
1: what we've found isn't that uh, the bank executives we've spoken to truly value technology and its impact on banking. They see the writing on the wall. What has been harder is for them to not want to push consumer loans and use this financial management platform mm-hmm. to profit off of customers. They see it as the best way to profit off customers. Whereas we believe that we have a unique business model that enables us to make money without jeopardizing our fiduciary responsibility to our clients. That's been the hardest piece to to, to navigate.
0: Yeah. So so far, so good. You've you've raised some amount of, of funding to begin with. Uh, we've been bootstrapped to date. Or oh, you three have of us full time. Yeah. Wow. And how long have you been going at this, Philip?
1: I've been going at this for about 18 months.
0: Is it what you expected
1: it to be? I knew it was going to be a slow slog. It's been challenging at times. That having been said, uh, we just brought on our third co-founder, Shannon Mosier. She was director of product at Lending Home. She built their mortgage origination platform from scratch. Uh, so she's going to ho- handle the entire operational efficiency loan side of the business. And then we've got quite a bit of momentum on the bank president side with some candidates we're really excited about finally.
0: So how many people, whether, in, whether co-founders mm-hmm. or employees or consultants, do you have currently in this bootstrapped organization is it just 3 of you guys?
1: No, so on the advisory side, yeah. uh whether you're talking engineering advisory, banking advisory or um anything else in between, we probably have close to 7 different advisors who are highly yeah. specialized. Yeah. Uh and then there's 3 of us full-time on the business every day and then on the the advisors act as co- uh consultants as well.
0: Okay. Interesting. I just um, there's so many questions I want to ask, and we only have a few minutes left. But um, so one question is is bootstrapping. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, there used to be a time. I'm dating myself, but there used to be a time where you go out and raise your first fundraise would be institutional financing on Sand Hill Road. You go out and raise five million bucks on on Series A round, and you know time has passed and dynamics change. And today, for a lot of uh, what I would call generally e-commerce, e-commerce companies, there is an expectation before you raise outside capital that you're going to have some of your own skin in the game. Yeah. So you guys are doing this yourselves, is that right? It's quite a of skin
1: in the game. Yeah, yeah. The opportunity cost of this venture has been significant and one I don't regret at all. Um, luckily, you can do quite a bit with very little capital today. Right.
0: i definitely have heard that we um, don't
1: need big servers from oracle installed in our basement to run yeah. our platform we can use aws or heroku um and so we you can go pretty far bootstrapping
0: yeah so um you know one question i get in the classes that i teach and i'll ask it of you so you're bootstrapping? Do you pay yourselves salary of any kind or is it the expectation is that when you bring on co-founders, you know, there's good news and bad news. The good news is you're a co-founder. The bad news is you you need to suck it up and put not only put some money in the pot, but you're not going to get paid until we actually go out and raise money. Is that how you've approached it?
1: I have not given myself a salary. Shannon isn't taking a salary either just because we would like to invest in the business and we are valuing our time and equity. Um, Our third co-founder, George Benham, is taking a small salary, but he's taking a huge pay cut to to, get this business off the ground. The way I view it is I don't want anyone eating ramen noodles or taking extra jobs to make ends meet while they work on the startup. I don't believe in that. I believe it distracts people from the mission of what we want to do, and it erodes our momentum.
0: So are you unique? I mean, do you have a sense, Philip, are there other – do you think that that model that you just described is fairly conventional for very early stage – pre-seed companies that this is kind of the mode that they operate in you know it just completely depends on the name brand
1: of the founders how well aligned they are with what it is they're tackling and how good they are at sales i really believe that the first 6 12 18 months of a company's life is about selling selling people to join you on your mission selling the idea Yeah. Yeah. yeah marrying capital to team
0: when do you expect that you'll start hiring employees? That will coincide with the first fundraising, do you think? That's right. So we're looking to close
1: a 3 to $5 million round. Um, and we haven't actually started fundraising. We're debating whether we do it this summer or this fall. And then once that money closes, we're going to ramp up engineering and bring on the bankers.
0: So again, I'm just, I wish we had more time. What does that depend on? I mean, you're saying you're going to make a decision about the actual timing on your first foray into the fundraising world. Yeah, it comes down to July and August being very difficult times to
1: fundraise. Oh, because uh, everyone's on vacation. Everyone's on vacation. Yeah. So, I mean, for my previous startup, I raised in the heart of it, right? Uh, 2011, RIP good times and in the summer. Yeah. So it was a challenging fundraising environment and we still made it work. That having been said as a founder, I think you want to put every possible edge in on your side. Get so. as
0: many factors lined up in your, in your support as you, right. as you can.
1: We want the best quality investors we can get. they can add quite a bit of value and we
0: want we want the right partners. do you have a sense that i mean have you done enough diligence yet on the investors in the Bay Area community where you you feel like you can rifle shot your your first efforts yeah, or is that is it more of a scattershot approach
1: both so we've been speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs who've gone through the fundraising process uh getting their Mentorship around our our fundraising process, what it is we should do, mm-hmm. but also guidance on which investors add a lot of value, and maybe more importantly, the ones that haven't been so great and the ones we should avoid. We have a target list of 15 that we're yeah. uh, very formally going to pursue, but those on, uh, entrepreneur conversations have brought our list up to 50. So they're introducing us to angels and VCs that, when we're ready to raise, that we actually didn't hear of but could add quite a bit of value.
0: Cool. So let me, last question. We've sure. got about 60 seconds left. Yeah. Um, I mean, these always sound cliche, but I always get different answers. So I, ask, I continue to ask the question. Do you like what you're doing and why? And it kind of implicit in, in that is would you do it again? Absolutely.
1: Uh, I've put quite a bit of money, quite a bit of time into this business. It's nontraditional. And, uh, you know, if this completely fell apart in the next two weeks, which it couldn't, but imagine the world ended, I wouldn't regret a minute I spent on it. Why? The mission. I fundamentally believe the world needs what it is we're trying to offer. And that fast forward 30 years, if we have the impact we're hoping to in banking, the world and the financial health of Americans could be very different. Not just because of us, but all the followers that would enter the market as
0: well. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, so we have a website, fixedbanking.com, if you oh, want to learn more great. about what we're doing. So it doesn't have Novi, Novi in the in the title.
1: Uh, we have a separate Novi URL uh, that has not launched formally yet. Right. That's going to be a series of tools uh, where content marketing is going to be big for us. And then my email is philip at fixedbanking.com, philip with one L.
0: Got it. Thanks very much. Thank Unfortunately, you, we are out of time. We're going we're gonna to take a two or three-minute break. Uh, you've been listening to Philip Cortez, who's the CEO and co-founder of Novi, which is a technology-driven bank. Thanks, Philip. It's been great. Thank you. And uh, stay with us. We'll be joining our next guest in about two or three minutes. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.